Hello, and welcome to another episode of Whole and Complete Podcast. This is Dr. Shantae, your host, and this is the podcast all about faith and wellness, loving God, living well. And there is so much good news. Specifically, I want to thank those of you who have participated in the Creating Consistency webinar from this past weekend. It was good stuff. And I may be offering a replay of that. So if you missed it and you wanted to take advantage of it, but were not available that particular day, I will try to make that available to you. Also, registration has begun. People are registering for the Ready to Thrive virtual wellness retreat. And I am so excited about that. As I said, I haven't done events in forever, but I am excited about this one. I don't think I ever saw myself running an online wellness platform, but here we are. (laughs) Here we are. Because even back when I was doing business coaching, and I still do some of that, um, I still get people that are like, are you still doing this? And I, I will do it. But a lot of what I do is really focused on mindset because it's, it's not just how to, if it was how to, then we would be doing it, right? If it was just that simple, we would be how to it ourselves to prosperity and wealth and, and fitness and, and wholeness. And Obviously, it's not that simple. It's more than just, here's what you need to do. It's really more, here's what you need to think. Here's what you need to believe. Here's what you need to focus on so that you can get to the how-to. So I'm very excited about that. So the Ready to Thrive virtual wellness retreat, you can go ahead and register for that at readytobelieve.com. Again, readytobelieve.com. On a different note, I saw some things in the news yesterday that really just really rubbed me the wrong way. It it burned my biscuits and the long and the short of it is apparently there is this trend of Christian quote unquote influencers, uh, black and white that are just pushing these lifestyles and pushing these products and they're not living the lives that they're pushing and they're not, honoring the products that they're selling to people and people are losing money and that sort of thing. And what burns my biscuits is that when it reaches the headlines, the headlines are always Christian so-and-so did blah, blah, blah. And it makes it so much harder for the rest of us who are serving our platforms and our people with integrity. It really damages our witness. And I will say this about me. I may not have 511 million uh, Instagram followers and I may not have millions and millions of downloads on this podcast or this platform, but I'll tell you what, what I do is honest. What I do is true to the word of God. What I do, I do with integrity, with his people in mind. And actually I pay to do this. When I talk about, you know, the Patreon sites and things like that, like literally from running the website to the hosting to the software subscriptions that are required to even record this type of material and things like that. I pay for that. And I do that as a, from a place of sufficiency, like, Lord, you called me to do this. And I know that you will make a way for it to be funded, but never did it enter my imagination to use the pain points and the dreams and the suffering and the vulnerability of people who come to Christian platforms for my own nefarious purposes. And so I will say this, you should 
pray <laughs> about some of the people that you follow because it might be popular and it might be flashy, but I'm going to tell you this, all that glitters is not God. Okay. All that glitters is not God. And you need to pay attention. This is why the Bible says study to show yourself approved. You cannot be relying on social media and YouTube sermons and all this other who shot John to navigate your own walk with the Lord. The Bible says we have to work out our own salvation, our own salvation with fear and trembling. And so you can't be outsourcing that work. So that's all I will say about that. Just be careful out in the streets. Now we have come to our last series of the season. So as I mentioned, season one is coming to a close. We will be 30 plus episodes in by the time all is said and done. And we are encroaching quickly upon 15,000 downloads for this little fledgling podcast that started uh, back in February and through a pandemic, no less. So I am so grateful to you all. Thank you for sharing. Thank you for emailing me, inboxing me, tweeting me, and letting me know how much this podcast means to you. Thank you for sharing it. Thank you for rating it. All those things, all of that supports this platform, which I believe is so needed and so necessary and is really just my one of my offerings to God in obedience to what he has called me to do. So let's get into this last series, which is battling addiction. As I said, we talked about how these last few uh, episodes series were going to be battle series. And so we talked about battling loneliness. We talked about battling anxiety and depression. And to wrap it up, we are going to be talking about battling addiction. And I know that this one, sometimes, you know, people see the title, or hear the word addiction and be like, that ain't got nothing to do with me. I ain't no drug addict. I ain't no alcoholic, but addiction manifests itself in so many ways. And so we're going to be talking about some of those ways that maybe we haven't thought about in this particular episode and series. So our guiding scripture comes from first Corinthians six, chapter 12. I mean, chapter six, verse 12. And the writer here is Paul. And he says, I have the right to do anything you say, but not everything is beneficial. I have the right to do anything, but I will not be mastered by anything. So he says, I have the right to do anything, but I will not be mastered by anything. So our focus today is going to be understanding addiction, emotional addictions, and self-examination. So let's get into it. So as we always do, let us start with some definitions here. So addiction is a brain disorder that is characterized by compulsive engagement in rewarding stimuli despite adverse consequences. Addiction is a brain disorder characterized by compulsive. Compulsive means an irresistible urge. Okay, so an irresistible urge to engage in rewarding stimuli. So that rewarding stimuli can be drugs. It could be alcohol. It could be food. Despite adverse consequences. So even when the consequences are bad, even when it is a detriment to our health, there is a compulsive, irresistible urge to engage in that behavior, even if it's against your own conscious wishes. So even if you don't want to do it, you feel compelled to do it. And this is not new. There is nothing new under the sun. Uh, The Apostle Paul refers to this feeling, this battle between having the will to do what's right or the will to do one thing and then resisting the urge to do wrong. And he talks about this in Romans chapter seven, 
around verse 15, he says, I do not understand what I do. I don't understand what I'm doing for what I want to do. I don't do it. But what I hate to do, that's what I do. And if I do what I do not want to do, I agree that the law is good as it is no longer I myself who do it, but it is sin that is living in me. For I know that good itself does not dwell in me. That is my sinful nature. For I have the the desire to do what is good, but I can't carry it out. For I do not know the good that I want to do, but but the evil I do not want to do. This is such a tongue twister. He says, this is what I keep doing. So basically he's saying, the good that I want to do, I don't do it. But the evil that I don't want to do, this is what I keep doing. And he says, now, if I do what I don't want to do, it's no longer I who do it, but the sin that is living in me that does it. To simplify this, he basically says, I was born with a sin nature. So I was born an enemy of God. We all were. And even though I've come to the saving knowledge of God, there are still parts of me that want to engage in things and do things and attempted to do things that are not in alignment with this life that God has called me to do. And so sometimes I stumble and I fall into doing those things and I don't want to do them. He said, that's the issue. He says, I don't want to do that stuff, but that's what I find myself doing from time to time. And that is similar to the definition that I just read to you, this, this compulsion, this irresistible urge, especially one that is against one's conscious wishes. Now, keep in mind, we did not have the sophistication of science and the deep understanding of the brain back in the Bible days that we do now. But even in biblical days, there were references to what is called cognitive dissonance, wanting one thing and doing another. So you say you want to lose, you know, 20 pounds and then you don't do the things that are going to be necessary for you to lose that weight. And this is the bedrock of addiction, wanting one thing, doing another, wanting to live one way, but being compelled to live another way or to do other things. And in most cases, the person who is addicted does not want to engage in addictive behavior, but they struggle with that irresistible urge to engage in those behaviors. So if y'all remember that movie, New Jack City from like the 90s with uh, Nino Brown and, and Chris Rock, Wesley Snipes, that whole thing. And this famous scene where Chris Rock is like, man, it be calling me, man, it, it be calling me. Yeah, that's that compulsion, that that irresistible urge. And that is the bedrock of addiction. And I do want to take a look real quick at verse 20. He says, now, if I do what I do not want to do, it is no longer I who do it, but it is sin living in me that does it. And sometimes people use this as the, the devil made me do it verse. But that's not how addiction works. Addiction yields to an urge. And that's why the work of recovery is about learning how to manage and resist that urge. So this series of addiction is not about shame and blame, but it is about understanding your relationship with certain behaviors and certain people. And, you know, sometimes people hear the word addiction and they immediately think substance abuse. But I'm here to tell you, addiction takes many, many forms. So there are food addictions, gambling addictions, work addictions, sex and pornography addictions, uh, phone and internet addictions, emotional addictions, the list goes on and on. But regardless of the type of addiction, we need to understand that it's not just about a set of behaviors, 
but there is a complex combination of chemicals and hormones in the brain, oxytocin, dopamine, serotonin, cortisol, adrenaline. When those things are out of balance, it makes it very difficult, very hard to fight that urge. And I think that sometimes people simplify addiction. They'd be like, well, why don't you just stop? Or why don't you just cut it out? I mean, all you have to do is just, you know, turn away from it and focusing specifically on the behavior. But the brain has so much to do with understanding addiction and facilitating the way that addiction works. And so let me tell you this for the millionth time. I ain't that kind of doctor. I am not a psychologist by trade. I am not a medical doctor. I am not a neurologist or a neurobiologist or anything of that sort. So what I'm about to offer to you is a very basic understanding of how these components work and facilitate addiction. But if you want to know more, by all means, go and do that work, that research or, or find an expert, which is almost always why I bring somebody who is versed in these types of things into these series, because I want to make sure that you get it from that perspective, get an understanding from that perspective. So oxytocin is referred to as the love hormone. So when you see mothers and, and babies bonding, like shortly after birth, that kind of that feel good, love bonding hormone, that oxytocin that is released when that happens. And so that's one of the reasons why that skin to skin contact is so vital. Serotonin and dopamine are mood enhancers. Okay. So they boost your mood. And so a lot of antidepressants and, and drugs that claim to be antidepressants really focus on targeting serotonin and dopamine because those are mood enhancing hormones produced in the brain, which kind of leads to those feelings of being high and being happy. Cortisol is the hormone that produces stress. And so when you think about people going through withdrawal, that is a stress. And so they're longing for those happy feelings. They're longing for those, those highs. Adrenaline gives you a sense of exhilaration. It's like a rush. And when these hormones, so the oxytocin, the cortisone, the, I mean, the cortisol, the serotonin, the dopamine, when those things are out of balance, it can create a very complicated cocktail of reward and pleasure seeking that facilitates addiction. And think about it. Think about the last time you had a taste for chocolate or cake or pizza or whatever it is. You're like, man, I really got a taste for so-and-so or I really got a Jones for so-and-so. And if you've ever been pregnant, ladies, you understand those pregnancy cravings like they are intense, like it just will not be satisfied until you have that thing. Well, multiply that by a thousand. OK, M multiply that at, at by a thousand and not having the inhibiting control to be able to stop after one ice cream cone, not having the ability to stop after one cup, not having the ability to stop after one drink that those things that get turned off in the brain, that is kind of, of what happens in our minds with respect to addiction. And then there is the amygdala. So the amygdala is a small but very complex part of our brain, which is partly responsible for storing memories and making decisions. So it's the part of your brain that remembers how crappy you felt the last time you drank too much. And it makes you think twice about doing it again, or it is the part of your brain that remembers the last time you ate too much and how bloated and uncomfortable you were. And so it makes you think twice about eating that much again. But when addiction is in play, when those hormones are off kilter, 
this part of your brain can get hijacked and you're no longer thinking clearly because the impulse is so strong. So addiction is not only a set of behaviors, meaning things that you do, but addiction is also a set of hormonal imbalances in the mind that make it difficult to stop, that make it difficult to suppress that urge. Which brings me to emotional addiction. So emotional addictions is something that I wanted to highlight here because I think that more times than not, this is so common and we don't recognize it often until it's too late. So people understand drugs, people understand, you know, substance abuse or gambling or what have you, but emotional addictions is something different. So emotional codependency, some people call these trauma bonds, but emotional codependency affects an individual's ability to have a healthy, mutually satisfying relationship. So some people call this relationship addiction because people with codependency, they often form or they maintain relationships that are one-sided or emotionally destructive or abusive. And I wanted to spend some time on this area of addiction because the people that we spend our lives with has such a tremendous impact on our mental health and well-being. Raggedy relationships can destroy you. They can destroy your sense of purpose. They can destroy your confidence. They can make you second guess yourself and completely distort who you are and who God has called you to be. And so when people stay in abusive and toxic relationships or when people revise history or they rewrite the history of their childhoods and they can't see the unhealthy patterns or toxic and abusive patterns in their parents' behavior or when people feel like they have to cover up what's really going on in the relationship and fake fine, all of these are red flags. All of these are indicators that an emotional addiction might be at the bedrock of this. And this is why we also need to re-examine some of the dynamics of, in our lives with respect to who we partner with, who we date, all those types of things. This is also why we need to re-examine things like casual sex. You know, there's a lot of people, a lot of people, and I'm not judging, but I'm just saying there's a lot of people that think they can have sex without the feelings. But let's go back to the way that the brain works, okay? So the limbic system of the brain, which is considered the reward center of the brain, the limbic system of the brain promotes emotional bonding. So when sex happens and then the dopamine gets released and the oxytocin gets released and all of that, when, when sex happens, there are these neurochemical changes that take place in the brain that will promote emotional bonding. And so thinking like, oh, I could just do this without the feelings. That might be your intention, but your brain does not recognize that intention because certain activities will facilitate certain changes in the brain. And some people call this soul ties. And I want to caution you. So just like I was kind of giving you a, a heads up about some of the people that you follow that call themselves Christian influencers, we also need to be careful about throwing around phrases and trying to use the Bible to justify them. So I have done a deep dive into this and there from my perspective. Okay. So don't, don't shoot the messenger from my perspective. There is no biblical basis for soul ties. The word of God says that two shall become one flesh, not one soul. 
in the book of Genesis, when God breathed into Adam, the Bible says he became a living soul. The soul is the animating force of the human experience. It's the life force of the human experience. And that is not exchangeable, interchangeable, or transactional through sex. And I know people have devoted entire YouTube channels and books and ministries around this concept of soul ties. But I think we need to be careful and do the work and research and make sure that we don't lead people astray. Nonetheless, you know, I believe what they're referring to is that emotional bonding that's that takes place in the limbic system, that facilitation of hormones that creates those connections. Nonetheless, uh, when our limbic system is seeking rewards and those rewards are not available we can experience feelings of withdrawal. So when you have sex with somebody and now, you know, the sex has grabbed you, you thought it was going to be a casual thing, you know, like hit it and quit it. And now you can't quit it. Now you can't stop thinking about it. Now you're having this emotional craving that has been developed for that person that really wasn't trying to connect with you on that level. And that can bring on feelings of sadness and depression or shame or trigger the desire for that emotional high. So you're looking for that rush again, that, that, that rush of oxytocin and dopamine, and that can lead you back to that person. So it becomes a toxic back and forth where you are engaging with the person that really doesn't have those feelings for you, or it can lead you to increase the number of partners that you have, because now you're just looking for the rush. And sometimes these addictive behaviors come from unresolved trauma. So one of the things that we have to recognize, uh, especially about things like sex, is that sex is biblical, but sex is also biological. And so it is not uncommon to have people who have experienced sexual abuse as a child and then for them to later become promiscuous. And in the saddest cases, the worst cases become abusers themselves, because when that part of your biology gets activated before you are a fully developed person, then you have a dysregulated stress system and no means of healing, no means of processing that depending on the environment that you grew up in. And it can become very difficult to manage those urges. Some people go the opposite way. They become asexual. They, they don't want no sex. They don't want nobody. Okay. So, but you, that's not predictable. You, you can't know what's going to happen when those things get activated. So sometimes these addictive behaviors come about as a result of trauma. Uh, Kaiser Permanente did a study, and I think that Christian Owens referred to this back when she was on our show, that this study of 17,000 pac patients that had adverse childhood experiences, about 60% of those participants that had experienced, you know, four or five childhood traumas were battling some form of addiction, whether it was drugs, alcohol, sex, or food. 60%. And I bring this up because sometimes addiction is a symptom of a larger issue, a way for people to self-medicate or escape something that has not yet been resolved. And you may not even realize it. There are lots of people who don't have memories of their childhood, like they can't bring them up. It's like their brains have protected them from that trauma. So they may not be readily able to make the connections between their addictive behavior and something that happened a long time ago, being mistreated during childhood, being chronically mistreated during childhood disrupts the normal, healthy development and progression of the brain. 
And so when those wounds are not healed or the people that you would normally turn to for support, like your parents are the cause of the trauma, it can lead to all kinds of unhealthy manifestations during adulthood, like addiction, like emotional codependency, like being attached to abusive people or seeking out patterns or or behaviors and partners that were in your childhood. And many of these behaviors cause people to feel shame or blame, and it just becomes a vicious cycle, which brings us to self-examination. So all of us should take the time to look at our relationships with work, with alcohol, with food, with sex, with money and shopping. Are they healthy relationships? Do you feel good about them? Do you feel if somebody knew about your relationship with these things that they would look at you differently? It is our responsibility to connect the dots between our behaviors, our relationships, and the disconnect between what we want and what we actually do. And just like any number of mental health issues, addiction usually has a trigger. It can be a response to stress, to feeling rejected, to feeling abandoned or lonely or left out. And that's part of the self-examination, noticing what makes us turn to unhealthy or addictive behavior. What makes us reach for the ice cream or the pills or the needle or the phone or the porn or whatever it is that we're using to try to self-medicate or escape. And it's not to say that people don't do these things from time to time. You know, people eat emotionally. They had a bad day. And so they, you know, they go and grab something that's going to make them feel better. But when it becomes compulsive, remember, don't lose sight of the definition, the compulsion, the, the irresistible urge, like I have to do this. Okay. Feeling like you don't have any control over it. That's where it falls into the domain of addiction. We also have to examine our relationship with others. So are you in a relationship or playing a role in a relationship that feeds your addiction? Are you enabling certain behaviors in other people? Are you a caregiver? And that role triggers bad memories, which forces you to feel bad feelings, which forces you into addiction. Are you trying to relive your childhood through someone else? And so many people go looking for their mothers and fathers in relationships and they end up married to their pathology. So rather than resolving the unhealthy dynamics from childhood in the mother-father relationship, they go and find somebody just like them. Are you in relationships that make you feel healthy, valued, and affirmed? Or do these relationships make you feel unworthy and ashamed? I bring this up and I save this for last in season one because, and I'm talking to black people right now, so much of black culture operates in a paradigm of shame and gossip. And that is just the truth. I cannot speak for other cultures because I have not had that experience in other cultures, but so much of black culture operates in a paradigm of shame and gossip. Black Twitter is a prime example of this. The shade room is a prime example of this, you know, in many ways they might celebrate black culture, but in other ways it tears people to shreds unmercifully tears people to shreds and we disrupt our own healing as a culture when we don't allow people to be vulnerable enough to do the work of healing without first talking about them like a dog. And this also happens in the church all the time. You know, somebody said, well, I'm going to pray for you, but let me talk about you first. Well, I'm going to pray for you, but let me call up so-and-so on the, on the phone line and tell her what's going on in your life all the time. 
And so addiction is one of those things that makes people feel so isolated, so ostracized, so ashamed, so humiliated. And we have to stop as a people, we have to stop weaponizing shame and start normalizing empathy. Okay. Because until we do that, then our people are left to suffer for longer periods than would be necessary for them to suffer. They need to feel like they're part of a culture that will be supportive rather than one who will be shaming and demeaning. So that is where we will stop for this part of the series. In our next series, because this is the battling series, we're going to talk about fighting that battle, you know, strategies that work and strategies that win and stories of people that have been able to overcome any number of addictions. And so if you have any questions, comments, takeaways, you know, you can always hit me up at Dr. Shante says, and if you want to support this podcast, please share it with somebody, please rate it. And I know that, you know, sharing a podcast on addiction might have somebody look at you sideways and other ways, especially if they don't think they have one. But I hope that I've broadened the topic of addiction enough so that people don't feel pinpointed or called out or in any way, but it's just so much bigger than I think that we often recognize. And so please share this podcast. You can rate and review this podcast, even if you don't write a review. So Apple users, I know for a fact that the bulk of my listeners come from Apple podcasts. If you could just rate it. Okay. If you don't have time to leave a review, I understand that. But if you could just rate it and help change that algorithm that makes it easier for people to share this podcast, I would be so grateful. And last but not least, as this podcast rolls to an end, we are going to be off the air while the virtual retreat is taking place. The virtual wellness retreat is taking place. So if you want to register for Ready to Thrive, you're only going to get a couple of more reminders as these podcasts kind of roll out before our season ends, because we're not coming back, I think, till like either middle or late October. So make sure that you register for the virtual wellness retreat ready to thrive. I'll give you more details about it on the next episode, or if you're on my email list and social media, but make sure that you do that as well. And I will see you guys next time.